we just moved. Um, I called UPS to ask them to help out with some boxes. And, now, they're a good service, but you have to have information ready about your boxes before you even call them. I had no idea. I called them up. Yeah, I have uh, 10 boxes. If you come pick them up. We need to know the weight and the girth. Okay, goodbye. So I called back, we need the weight and the girth. Okay, I don't know what the weight is, and um, I don't know what girth means. So now what's the procedure? So this guy talks to me like I'm four years old. Well, do you have a bathroom scale? Uh, yeah, but if I put the box on a scale, it's going to cover up the numbers. <laughs> what, do I take them off really quick? <laughs> ah, zero. I'm not fast enough. What's he talking about? So then he gives me like his Mr. Wizard formula. How about if you stand on the scale and weigh yourself, get off the scale, pick up the box, get back on, weigh you and the box together and subtract your own weight. I'm going, slow down. Hold on, professor. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Good morning. That's great, isn't it? Um, I had no idea what that video was going to be until last night, right before I came up here. I always ask Maria to pick me out a funny video to come on up, just because I like to laugh before I come up here. So round of applause for Maria. That one was great. So you want to hear a funny story? That's too much pressure. You want to hear a story? (laughs) It might be funny. So Jake, Jacob, who's just up here, um, There was a time when Wilson and I were in the flip side ministry here at this church. I think I was probably 15. Jacob's a couple years older than us. And so he was actually either like a, like a just out of high school leader, or maybe even like a student leader as a senior or whatever. And we did a lock-in at a YMCA, not the one down the street, but one somewhere else. And so at this YMCA, there was big basketball courts and we a lot of us were down there playing basketball and shooting hoops and stuff but then there was this like balcony that surround like went all around the perimeter of the court so you could like stand up and look down on the basketball court from like 15 feet up and so will and i were up on this balcony and we see jacob down there playing with some middle schoolers doing leader things And we decide that we want to mess with them a little bit. So we had these basketballs up on this balcony. And we like walked to like the closest spot where he was. And then picked out a spot like six inches from where he was standing. And would like launch the basketball down. So it would like bounce right next to him. And he'd like turn around and get scared and look at us and be like, hey, you guys don't do that. And so then we would, we did it again and we did it again. Finally, he got, he got so angry with us, he like grabbed the basketball back and like hurled it at us at the time, like as hard as he could. And that could have been a lawsuit, but <laughs> it wasn't. So also, Jacob, he made me the man I, I am today. He's such an inspiration. 
He told me to say that right before I came up. <laughs> He's a good guy, though. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you all about evangelism this morning. And I know that that word evangelism, it, it can sound kind of like a, like a cuss word in a way. Because of the way that the church has historically done evangelism. Now, I'm not one who likes to say, oh, the church, the church is so bad, the church is so bad, we need to fix it. I don't like to do that. But fact of the matter is, people have had some really bad plans in evangelism over the years. And so I know that that word, it can sound, it, can, it just can just cause anxiety just, just hearing it. But I want to talk about it in a way that is much different from that view of evangelism. And I know that we've talked about this on stage a couple of times. I have, Wilson has, um, Van, Dave, about everyone has. But I want to frame it in a new way this morning. So let me pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, all of this really is for you. Let what needs to be said be said. We love you, God. Amen. Okay, story to go into this. A couple weeks ago, I was going to Kroger to buy some stuff. And whenever I go to some kind of an establishment, like a store or a restaurant or anything really, the mall, I make it a goal to try to minister to at least one person. And what I mean by that is if I see anyone who is on crutches or has a brace on, I'll ask them, hey, this might sound strange, but Jesus loves to heal people and he still does it today. Can I pray for you to be healed? Um, Or maybe I'll ask God to give me like an encouraging word or prophetic word for my cashier and then tell them, hey, God's not mad at you. He's so proud of you. He loves you so much, Um, etc. So my goal is to minister to at least one person while I'm in the establishment. Um, and so I'm walking into Kroger with this is on my mind and I look to my left and I see this guy probably, I want to say two or three years younger than me. And he had, I guess, collected a bunch of cigarette butts from the parking lot. Like he had like, like probably like 20 cigarette butts and he was squeezing like the last remaining bit of tobacco out of each one into this rolling paper. I'm assuming to roll himself a cigarette because he couldn't afford to buy any himself. And so I'm walking by in and I wanted to say to him, Hey man, tell me how that tastes. But I didn't say anything. And I I walked into Kroger and I'm looking for that opportunity to minister to someone. I didn't do it in Kroger and I probably had the opportunity. I probably just chickened out to be honest, but I don't remember anything specific. And so I buy the stuff I needed I walk out of Kroger without having ministered to anyone. Well, I have a second goal. And it's in case of me missing my first goal. I have a lot of these, you know. (laughs) Anyone identify with that? Uh, So I have a second goal. And um, it's if I don't minister to someone in the store while I'm in there, then the first person that I walk by on my way out, I just like force myself to say, hey, excuse me. I like to pray for people. Can I pray for you? You know, I like force myself to do it. Um, I don't talk like that though. <laughs> and I'm not saying you should either. Everyone take note, you note takers, write that down. So I, 
I walk by this guy. He's a veteran. Um, Excuse me, sir. This might sound out of the ordinary. I love praying for people. Can I pray for you? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. He had dystrophy in his legs. Prayed for him. No healing. Nothing happened. But he was encouraged, and I went on my way. I get into my car, and I put it into reverse, and I back out of the space about halfway, and then I see that guy that I had seen when I was walking in rolling the cigarette with the leftover tobacco from all the cigarette butts. And it just so happens that coincidentally, there was a pack of cigarettes in my car. And so this thought went through my mind. What would it do to his stereotypical assumptions of Christians and of Christianity if I grabbed a cigarette out of that pack and went up to him and said, hey man, do you want a real one? Jesus loves you. Now, I'm not making a theological statement on this, but I really felt the Holy Spirit leading in this. So that's what I did. I, and I, you know what? One thing to note, I don't think I would have went up to him if I hadn't forced myself to pray for that first person. You know, I find that for me personally, when I, I don't like even using the word force, but when I force the first one, all the other ones throughout the day feel a lot more natural. And that's not just an evangelism. That's in a lot of stuff too. So um, I get out of the car, keys in the ignition still, door wide open, halfway out of the spot, walk over to him and say, hey, excuse me, man, um, do you want a real one? And he's like, oh, dude, thank you so much. So I gave it to him and we started talking, found out his name was Brody. He uh, was three years younger than me, so he was 21. And he had a daughter and he had been addicted to pills a couple of months earlier, but he had gotten clean from that. So we're talking about that. Just asking about his life. Then um, he's about to leave and go back to work. And so before he leaves, I say to him, hey, well, excuse me, Brody, this might sound out of the ordinary, but I would really love to pray for you right now. Would you be cool with that? And he's like, oh yeah, sure, man, you can go for it. And I was like, okay. And I don't, and here's why I said this to him. I don't want to just say words that I've recited in my mind over and over again and then leave. Like when I say, I want to pray for you, what I mean is I want to pray and, and see God supernaturally touch your life right now. And he was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think he'd ever heard something like that before. Um, and I asked him, do you have any pain anywhere in your body? And he said, well, yeah, dude, I've got like pain in my back. I've had pain in my back since I was 14. I said, okay, well, Brody, uh, Jesus is going to heal your back right now just to tell you how much he loves you, to show it to you in a real tangible way. He's like, okay. He didn't believe me. They kind of never do when you say that. Then I, I uh, yeah, I prayed the first time, back, be healed in Jesus' name. And you notice I didn't say, Jesus, will you please, please, please heal this back. If you look in the New Testament and you see how Jesus prayed, never did he say, God, please heal, or God, I'm asking you to heal. It was always, be healed, stand up, take up your mat, and walk. Some people say, well, why should we pray like Jesus? Well, we should pray like Jesus. But if you look at his apostles, Paul and Peter, they say the same things anyway. So stand up and take your mat and walk. And so when we pray for healing, I want to do it how Jesus did it. And that's by commanding the healing to happen. And now some people are like, well, why are we commanding God to do things? Well, you're not commanding God when you command healing. You're commanding the body and God is backing you up. Does that make sense? That's why we, because I know it can be confusing. When I first heard this, I was like, why are we like telling God to do something right now? But that's not what we're doing at all. We're telling the body to do something right now. 
God's power is flowing through that. So anyways, back be healed. He checks it, and Brody's like, yeah, dude, it feels noticeably better. I asked him, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most intense pain, imagine that it was a 10 before I started praying. What does it feel like now? He's like, oh, well, it feels like a 6. Like, okay, well, can I pray again? He was surprised, but he let me. So I prayed a second time, back, be healed in Jesus' name. And he starts to move his back around like this. And the countenance on his face changes. And he's smiling. And he looks at me and says, dude, my back hasn't felt like this since I was 14. This is crazy. And so, you know, I'm like jumping up and down inside, but I keep my cool. And I'm like, well, dude, I'm like, and then he asks me, um, where do you go to church? And I say, well, I go to the Vineyard Northwest behind Colerain Bowl. But dude, if I'm being honest with you, I don't do this for a church, really. Or I don't do this because I'm a part of a church. I do this because I love Jesus. And this is what he did. And this is what he's calling me to do. And he, he was really surprised by that. Um, and so then I told him, Brody, look, the reason Jesus healed your back right now is because he loves you so much and he wants a relationship with you. Have you ever had a relationship with God before? He hadn't. And so I asked him, well, no pressure or anything, dude, but do you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus right now? And he's like, yeah, dude, I think I really do want that. And so he accepted Christ right there in the Kroger parking lot. (laughs) A couple of observations from that. I mean, it was so cool. I just, (laughs) I never, ever thought that I would ever be leading someone to Christ in the streets. Even just like six months ago, I probably would have told you, oh yeah, well, I'm not necessarily an evangelist, so I won't ever do that. But it's all about taking small steps toward it. Another cool thing to report, Amanda, like two weeks ago, she led three people to Christ in the streets in one week. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> She's incredible. Uh, um, yeah, if you want evangelism, go get prayer from her at any point couple of observations from that story I want to make. I don't know if he would have given me the time of day if I hadn't given him that cigarette. Maybe he would have. Maybe he would have said, get away from me. Who knows? And see, one of our really cool, one of the really cool ministries that we get to have while we're doing this power evangelism, evangelism stuff is we get to break down people's stereotypes about Christians and about Christianity. You know, what non-believer would ever expect a Christian to come up to them and do a thing like that? Also, how many of you know that a lot of people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus think that God hates them and Christians hate them more? Right? So when we go up to someone and we say, a stranger who we have no invested interest in, and we say, hey, excuse me, God really loves you. I love you. Can I pray for you? It breaks down those stereotypes and those assumptions. And you know what? Even if the person spits in our face and says, get away from me, I don't want your prayer, and we graciously exit, what I mean by that is, hey, no problem. Bless you, man. I'll see you. That is in and of itself breaking down those stereotypes and those assumptions. So no matter what, whether we get completely rejected and scorned or the person's back gets healed and they accept Christ, we're still ministering to that person by breaking down those assumptions. 
So that's one really cool thing about power evangelism. Okay. I, sp- I taught on the same subject last September. And my main focus then was scriptural justification for power evangelism. The main point I made was, look, if we look at the Bible and we study its context and we look at the writings of Paul and the, writings of Je- and the, and the life of Jesus, we see that not only is power of evangelism legitimate, but also it is actually the most biblical way to do evangelism. I'm not necessarily going to focus on that scriptural justification this morning. I'm obviously going to talk, I'm obviously going to use the Bible. But if you want to hear that message, I encourage you to go on the podcast for VCNW and listen to it. It's, it's all there. And I, real quick, I just want to review from that. I, want, I just want to read the main verse that I was in. So open up to 1 Corinthians 2. This is the passage that was kind of at the center of, of that message. We're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Isn't that an incredible passage? Oh, I love that. I love that so much. It's not about using the right words. How many of us have ever felt pressured when we're sharing the gospel of someone to say the right words? You know, if we say the wrong words, then God can't do anything. You know, it's not about that. Here's a quote I heard a while ago. If it takes a good, if, it t- if a great argument, you know, as Paul says here, wise and persuasive words, if a great argument can convince someone to believe in God, all it takes is a great argument for them to not believe again. And we're not in the business of fitting God into people's flawed way of thinking. No, we want to see God's power impact their heart so it changes the way they think. That's the point of it. So, if you want to hear the rest of that message, podcast. Now I have a question for everyone in this room. Here's a question. Is your walk with Jesus in balance? Is your walk with Jesus in balance? What do I mean by that? Well, if you consider all the aspects, all the really important aspects of your walk with Christ... Are they in balance or are they out of balance? Imagine a table, rectangular table. If you have one leg on that table in one of the corners, when you try to set up the table, what's going to happen to it? It's going to fall, right? Is this a bad analogy? (laughs) It's going to fall. You know, imagine that a rectangular table, one leg on one corner, it's just going to fall right over. And not only is it going to fall, but it's not going to be useful as a table. Also, if you have two legs on the table, maybe like catty corner of each other, it might be able to like, 
you might be able to like position it so that it can barely be in balance, but then you could like walk by it and the wind of walking by it would knock the table over. So it's still out of balance and it's not useful as a table. You, in fact, you need at least three legs on a table for it to bear weight and for it to actually be useful as a table. It has to be in balance. And so do we as believers. Our walks with Jesus have to be in balance. So what I want to do is show all of you an illustration that I learned about a year ago from a ministry called 3DM. And this illustration will help you self-assess to see if your walk with Jesus is in balance. And thus, you won't fall and you'll be useful as you can be. You'll be reaching your potential as a follower of Christ. So um, the illustration is a triangle should be up on the screen soon. And the premise of it is that there are three major components to every Christian's walk that need to be in balance for healthy growth and for reaching potential. Three major components. I want to talk about those three. First one is intimacy with Christ. This is absolutely essential to every believer. We have to have intimacy with Jesus. It can't just be head knowledge. It has to be heart knowledge. We have to have intimacy with him. For me, the way I've grown the most in this, in intimacy, has been my time with God in the Bible and in prayer every single morning. My daily time with Jesus. That by far has brought me into an intimate place with him more than any worship set or conference or teaching or even house group meeting, that daily time with him is what has done this for me. And a lot of people, their schedules are so busy that the thought of spending a half hour with God in the morning or at night before they go to bed is really scary, you know, because like I already have all this stuff to do and all these responsibilities. How can I add this discipline, this habit into my life? And I think that's legitimate. Um, that's, that's legitimate. But here's what I want to say. Is God worth rearranging a schedule for? You see, I used to think, oh, throughout my day, I'll just uh, worship in my car on the way to work. I'll uh, pray in between classes. And that can be my time with God. That can be my intimacy with him. And what I was really doing there was I was tacking God on top of my schedule and my routine instead of carving him into it. It's so important that we understand our priorities. No matter what else, no matter what's going on with our family or with school or work, Jesus takes priority in our schedules. He always has to. I heard a quote a while ago that I've repeated many times. We lose the fear of God in 24 hours. Meaning after 24 hours go by of us spending intentional time with him, we start to like revert back to old ways of thinking and old, old ways of acting. Intimacy, daily time with Jesus is so crucial. Next part of the triangle, second point of balance is Christian community. This is so important. I don't want to say a whole lot about this. I just want to show you an illustration. Could I have one volunteer come up on stage with me? Thank you. Alrighty, so 
I want you to imagine that colored pencils represent your Christian community. So one pencil would mean that you have a relationship with God. Maybe you pray all day and read your Bible six hours a day, but you have no brothers and sisters that are intentionally investing in your life. Okay. So we also have an enemy that wants to break us and puts pressure on us, especially in times where things are getting tough. We're going to make this quick because we're running out of time, but unfortunately you get to play the role of the devil right now. (laughs) Um, See if you can break this. Okay. Pretty easy, right? How many of you think that he could break two? Raise your hand. I don't think a lot of people believe in you, man. (laughs) Okay. So two. So maybe you have one close friend who invests in you intentionally and that's it. There's just two of you. Okay. See if you can break this. Okay. A little harder, but still, you know, not too hard. How about 50? (laughs) See if you can break that. Not even close, right? Not even close. Give him a round of applause. Let's see. So here's my question. Does your community of brothers and sisters, and also one thing I just want to say real quick, being friends with a Christian and you being a Christian does not constitute community. I've had many Christian friends who I've never had one conversation with Jesus about. So it has to be intentional. Um, does your Christian community look like this? Is it two? Is it three? Or does it look like this? I want to tell you all something. Being part of house group, I can honestly say that if I'm going through a tough time or a hard time and I need people to support me, I could call 50 people without a doubt. And no matter how terrible my week, my month, my years going, I know that I've got 40, 50, 60 people that are going to be right there to encourage me and talk with me and build me up. And it's an amazing thing. And so if you don't have this, 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 you ha- this is so important. If you don't have this, find it. There are small groups and growth groups here at this church. In fact, Growth groups are coming up soon. They're going to be starting in about a month, four, four months long, not too big of a commitment. Great way to make relationships. If you're a young adult in this room and you don't have this, come talk to me or any of these people right here about house group. Or we have cards in the Welcome Center that have all the information on them. But don't try to live your Christian walk like this. It's not a great place to be. I've been there. It's not a good place to be. Third and last part of the triangle is evangelism. If you have, if in your, so here's what I want you to think about. Think about your normal week, your typical week as a Christ follower. How often do you see each of these three things? Now, it's not like, you know, if you see someone praying for 10 people a day, 
you need to be doing what they're doing. It's all about you and Jesus. Are you, is your, for you, are you in balance? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I just want to say one last thing. A lot of Christians, myself included, for the past, like probably my first two or three years as a Christian, I had the intimacy, the daily time in the word. I had the Christian community, but I had zero evangelism. And I always felt like something is off in my faith. Something is not quite right. And the reason for that is that evangelism, I'm convinced, is what breathes life and passion into our relationships with God. You see, when we have those first two, we think of our relationship with God as ultimately for self-improvement. That the point of our relationship with God, what we're supposed to do on this earth, is self-improve, get rid of sin, stop believing lies, all that. Jesus never said, hey, go improve yourself in all the earth. He said, go make disciples of all the earth. Advancing the kingdom has to be integral to our relationship with God. And if you know that evangelism is the one you need to work on, because usually people have two and need to work on one, my advice to you is don't look at someone else and try to do what they're doing. Figure out what your next step is. Maybe you're not ready to go up and pray for someone at Kroger, but you could buy someone's lunch behind you at a restaurant and say, God loves you. Keep taking steps. Keep praying for steps. All right. Thank you all so much. Let's worship. Let's do it.